Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. When one of Paige Proctor's loved ones got a cancer diagnosis, she turned her grief into something positive, and her community of Gross Isle, Manitoba has now raised more than $130,000 for cancer care. Through the Coffee House to End Cancer event, Paige and her team of volunteers have brought their friends, family, and community together for a day of local artists performing and keynote presentations for nearly a decade now. Paige has been honored for her work by the Association of Fundraising Professionals as their recipient for the 2019 Emerging Leader in Philanthropy Award. It does feel weird accepting, accepting this award by myself because even as a six, from a 16-year-old and even now as a 25-year-old, it's not something that I could have ever done on my own. I had a tremendous amount of support and assistance from really my entire community, all of my friends, my friends and my family. Doing this event just shows just how awesome they are and how lucky I am to have such awesome friends and family. I don't know how I scored that. I sat down with Paige to talk about philanthropy, her motivation as a young woman to start such a successful fundraiser, and how her life has been changed by the stories of the cancer survivors that she's met. Because everyone has a story about cancer, we need to build a community that supports each other and lifts us up when we have fallen down. Paige Proctor, welcome to the Because and Effect podcast. Appreciate you coming down and uh, talking to us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have <laughs> you. Um, you've got a pretty prestigious award from the Association <laughs> of Fundraising Professionals. You're the emerging philanthropist. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the first thing I want to ask about is uh, the Coffee House to End Cancer event. You've raised over $100,000 since this event, uh, since its inception uh, for cancer care, and maybe just Bring me back to 2011 when it first got started. What was your mindset at and why did you want to get this started? Yeah, so um, I think actually just to um, reiterate uh, the amount that we've raised so far as of this past year, we were, we've raised the most, this, this past event, we raised the most that we've ever raised before. So I believe the total is now up to over 130,000. Oh, nicely. <laughs> right. So this year was like 22 or 23, I saw? 20, 23,000, uh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, well so done. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. It was actually like a, we had a smaller crowd this year and we still ended up bringing in that much more, like cool. the most we've ever brought in. So that was pretty exciting. Very but. exciting. So yeah, what is the event maybe for people who haven't heard of the Coffee House to End Cancer event in Gross Isle? Uh, tell me all about it. Yeah, for sure. So it is a fundraising concert that we put on once a year, um, usually... Uh, near the end of August, and it's uh, held at the an, at Anderson's Hitchin Post Ranch in Gross Isle, Manitoba, which is where I am originally from. And um, it features local artists um, within the Interlake region um, under the age of 30. That has kind of been a, you know, when I started this, I was 16 and 30 seemed really old, but now <laughs> I am 25, 30 doesn't seem that far away. So yeah, so it's for amateur artists under the age of 30, and they perform two songs each. It's supposed to be kind of having an uplifting feel um some of the artists will dedicate to people that they know um but it's ultimately like celebrating those who are um currently battling have lost their battle or have uh know somebody who is battling or have lost their battle with cancer mm. we raise money through um the admission sales uh, variety auction we've had vendors come in the past from really like it's kind of been expanding we've got people that are that ask to be vendors there as well as people that I have asked. Um, we also have um, some very generous donations. We started this year um, doing a like a, a, a donation tier system. So we had gold, silver, and bronze donators, um, and that was brand new this year. And it was we got an awesome response from that. Um, 
in businesses that donated either greater than a hundred, greater than three hundred, and greater than five hundred dollars, cool. and um, and individuals as well, actually, which I was not expecting. I was expecting more businesses. businesses. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and then we also do a pre fundraiser every year um, through the Stonewall Quarry Days Committee. Um, we I I sacrifice my Friday night of the <laughs> street show, and um, we sell the fifty fifty um, at the beer gardens that awesome. night, and that brings us in like a really nice starter uh, to get the cool. show just about a week before the show. So. so was there a personal connection to to cancer? I mean, everyone in the world basically has has a personal <laughs> yeah. connection to cancer. But w- what was yours? For sure, yeah, and it's incredible to learn. Like ever since I've started this, to learn just how connected everything is with um, cancer, unfortunately, and everybody has their story. And, and it is unfortunate, but it's also very much a connecting um, bond that uh, people have, which I think is why the event is so successful as well. Um, for me, it actually started when I was 16 years old. Um, my very good fr- family friends, um, Gordy Harris and Jim Harris, they were um, Jim is uh, father of Gordy. Um, Jim is my adopted we we adopted him as our our grandpa (laughs) and uh he was diagnosed with um i believe lymphoma i don't want to say it wrong though um he was diagnosed with cancer and then within a couple months his son was also diagnosed and it was it like you know i'd had family members and friends that had been diagnosed with cancer but for some reason those two so close together and these two individuals being so close being like a second father and second grandfather to me really hit hard um and I love and hate telling this story because it's very cheesy, but I, we, lived out, we lived out of town and we have a very big yard. So after my mom told me, I just decided that instead of showing my emotions in the house with her, I went outside and I started raking leaves and crying. And then I realized that, I don't know, I had one of those awe-inspiring, this is the really cheesy part, is I had this awe-inspiring moment where I'm like, why am I crying about this when I could change this? I could I could do something productive with this this emotion that I feel. The beauty um, of youth, hey? Just I was, I was a very youthful, it. insightful yeah. child. For sure. <laughs> and, uh, and then so I started thinking about it. I thought about it. I think I slept on it that night and thought, you know, um, I'm heavily involved in the music community um, through my school and through my community. And I thought, you know, this is something that I can, I can do. I can, you know, I know lots of people in music and how can I incorporate music into raising money for Cancer Care Manitoba. So I believe the next day um, I went to my, I I had called up a former um, middle school teacher of mine who I knew had done fundraising in the past. And I met up with her at her house and I said like, how do you go about doing this? And she kind of gave me, I think she gave me like the email address for Cancer Care. And I said, okay, so you want to do this with me? And she's like, no, I think you can do this on your own. And I'm like, okay. And then had to go home and tell my mom. And that was probably the most scary part because I was so worried that she would say like, this is too big. This is like way over your head, like good idea, but like. Pump the no. brakes and, a bit. Yeah. yeah, pump the brakes. You've got to focus on school and stuff, even though it was summer vacation. Right. <laughs> um, focus on your soccer and stuff. And, and I felt it was surprising, but I should know better now that she was totally on board for it um, and was like, yeah, tell me what you need, need me to do kind of thing. So then the next day I called Cancer Care Manitoba or actually I emailed them and they called me the next day and they're like, okay, what's your idea? And at this point I didn't even really have an idea. I just knew it was like music and Cancer Care Manitoba. So I on the spot was like, well, I think it would be really fun to do a concert. I have a hall. I have like performers that I can ask. I haven't done any of that yet, but in my head I'm like, yeah, this sounds great. And then um, 
I just kind of made up the idea on the spot on the phone and she's like, okay, when can you come in and meet with me? And then that was when I had to tell my mom because I didn't have a driver's license then. And I'm like, oh gosh, okay, I guess this is happening now. So um, met up with uh, Laura McFarland at Cancer Care Manitoba and she was incredibly helpful. Was again, like I was always so surprised that people were like, yeah, this is a great idea. I'm like, okay, I got a great idea. Um, Yeah, so then... um, that started, uh, I think that was in June. I had come up with the idea. Was it back in 2011? 2011, yeah. 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 And then from June to August, I prepared. I had, um, you know, I like I said, I had tons of friends in music. So it was really easy finding performers because everybody was starving artists looking for a gig mm-hmm, that uh, mm-hmm. could put them out there. And um, we had our first event at the Grassile Hall, which is, again, um, where I'm from. And... Um, I expected to raise, I think I told somebody, I was like, if I raise over $100, I think I'm going to shave my head. And within the first week, we raised $100. I'm like, Uh I'm not telling anybody else that (laughs) because I am not ready to shave my head. Um, And uh, the first show was beyond successful. I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, I thought, okay, maybe I'll get a few people from Gross Isle coming in to see. And we got people from all over the interlake. We got people from Winnipeg. I had loads of people that were willing to volunteer at the event to make the event successful. I had people that were baking that offered to um, provide free homemade baking for the show. Um, And it was incredible how much support and um, success the first show was. And we ended up raising um, $6,000 at the first show, which was way beyond $100 that I thought more money than any 16 year old should even (laughs) exactly comprehend. Yeah. So and then it was just like after that, every year has just uh, built up more steam, become more successful. More people know about it. It's now become a staple in the community. Like I will meet people and they'll say, Oh, you're the coffee house girl. And I'm like, wow, I guess I am. So, cool. <laughs> so t- this year's 2019's version. What, how, how much bigger has it gotten? Like, take me, what's the difference between yeah. that first event so, to, to now? It has gotten huge, yeah. <laughs> way bigger. Still manageable. Than hopefully. <laughs> Pardon me. Still manageable. Still manageable. You know what? I've gotten real. I've got a really great team of people who have learned to tell me what they're doing as opposed to asking me how they can help because I'm very bad at giving up control and I'm very thankful that they um, are willing to support me and also tell me like this is how we're helping you (laughs) and this is what we are doing for the show Um, but yeah so we ended up um, actually after our I believe our fourth year we were going into our fourth show and um, Gross Isle Hall had become the um, I guess headquarters for the Pinkertons. Um, the show that the was show? they were yeah. filming, yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. so they had, but um, Grandpa Jim, who was uh, who I previously talked about, mm-hmm. he was the president of the hall at the time, and my mom also happened to work at the hall, so I had a couple of strings there. Yeah. But they had, but they had said, you know, this is a staple event that has to continue on, regardless what your timeline is. Timeline yeah. is this show needs to happen yep. along with like the Santa breakfast, etc. Um, so that in itself showed just how much it meant to the community that they yeah. were picking this show to be like, regardless what you are paying us, regardless your contract, this show needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I showed up that week of the show um, to the stage completely demolished on the side of the hall that we usually perform oh, on. No. And they said, you'll be fine just to use the carpeted area by the kitchen. Right. And I'm like, 
I'm expecting like 200 people. It's oh, not going to no. fit in this like half of this hall. And they they were like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. We had no idea the magnitude of this event. We will pay for you to find like another venue. What's the closest venue? Which happened to be the Hitchhiker Post, who I also have a personal connection with. Um, so I called them up and said, listen, like we have somebody who's willing to pay for this. I know it's short notice, but can we do it in a week? And they said, absolutely. Um, so again, luckily my mom also works for the pa- local paper. So we just pushed, pushed the advertisement. And that was again, like one of those moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to show up because you know, it's not at the Grasse Hall before, even though Hitchin Post is right down the street. It was just something like very stressful to for imagine sure. after it had been so successful. Well, we had- Especially for a 20 year old kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we had more people than ever show up to the show. And after that show, my mom said, yeah, I don't think you can go back to the Grasal Hall. Right. <laughs> um, so just that in itself, it's grown so much that we had to move venues. Um, we have had, um, you know, the magnitude of, I think the whole idea of the event has also changed and grown over the years. So. You know, in my head when I started, the goal was just to cure cancer. And now, you know, as a more mature <laughs> um, person, I learned that that's, that's pretty, like, though it is the overarching goal of the foundation, it's a pretty lofty goal for one small community event to accomplish. So it's, we've kind of shaped the war, the um, atmosphere of the show to still be uplifting, but also, you know, um, focusing on those currently battling and, you know, not always the most, um, like not always the happiest moments. And, you know, we've had lots of speakers that have come and spoken at the events, um, either who have battled cancer or are currently battling cancer. This past year, we had um, somebody come and read uh, from Cancer Care Manitoba, um, My Magical Moon. Um, It's another book that was written by a Winnipeg uh, author um, for his friend who's currently battling cancer and that family came, um, also happens to be my cousin, but, <laughs> um, her kids came up and she, they read the book together and that was really another way to just kind of bring a, like a larger connection. I think that over the years, cancer care has made a lot of bigger connections than just the interlake community. We've mm-hmm. got my magical moon, um, another, um, local connection, but kind of more Winnipeg based, uh, Kira's crusade, um, also, was fe- we feature them every year now because we've made a special bond with them. So it's grown, but then it's also connected with other um, areas of uh, Cancer it, Care Manitoba. It's such a Manitoba story. Right? <laughs> it really you know, is. Just <laughs> connecting everyone and just kind of, well. Like, oh yeah, my sister's cousin's friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so great. So how do you feel when you see, like obviously going from expecting $100 to now <laughs> one hundred and twenty or 130000 like, is it just beyond the scope and did you ever think that this would ever be this big? I had no idea. And, and realizing that it's the 10th show next year, like I never expected 10th this anniversary. to go. Yeah. That's so so cool. it'll be a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Mark your calendars. When is it? Um, <laughs> Do you have a date? I don't okay. yet. I really should have thought about that before I said <laughs> before that. Before <laughs> marking our calendars? So, well, August, Keep right? August open. Yeah, okay. All, every weekend in <laughs> every August. Every weekend. Um, yeah. So, I mean, every time I, every time, like, probably about five minutes before the show starts. I'm always like looking outside and thinking like, oh, okay, are we going to get a crowd this year? And then the people just start coming in, coming in, coming in. And then I'm having my, my volunteers being like, um, it's time, it's time to start, to start the show. But I'm like, but people are still coming in, which is like exciting, but also just, it blows my mind every time. For sure. It would like, 
it's not easy for a 16 year old kid to <laughs> kind of put this all together right like talk about you did already a little bit but talk about all the different volunteers that go into this because yeah. obviously it's not a one person so I do job. have to say um it, it does feel weird accepting accepting this award by myself because even as a six from a 16 year old and even now as a 25 year old it's not something that I could have ever done on my own I had a tremendous amount of support and assistance from really my entire community all of my friends my friends and my family are like doing this event just shows just how awesome they are and how lucky I am to have such awesome friends and family I don't know how I scored that <laughs> but um so I have I think probably the the three main I would say like core people that really helped drive and change and continue to um or I would say okay probably four people that really um have been pillars in in this event going larger is um first and foremost my mom and uh joanne proctor and her um uh comp- er, sh- she works for the stonewall toulon tribune which is the local paper cool. in stonewall um without them this event would not have been possible like every year they write a story they do advertising for us they print for us it's it wouldn't be this we would never be able to get the message out like we did without the stonewall toulon tribune they are probably our biggest sponsor as well as our biggest supporter they come out to the event every year they volunteer at the event they donate prizes like it's the 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 people that work at the stonewall tribune and my my mom of course are incredible um and huge to the coffee house um the second person is um a woman named tony delrock um and she was about uh, again maybe my fourth or fifth show um where she messaged me out of the blue I had known her just from being in the community but hadn't really met her formally it just you know you just you you live in a small community you know the name um and she just messaged me and she said I want to help you um let me know what I can do and again I have lots of trouble <laughs> releasing control um so I think the first year I said oh yeah you can come and work the front desk well working like the admission table turned into her becoming my right hand man like she does everything like she came up she showed up that day early to help out she was organizing the silent auction she was organizing the bakers at the end of the show she's like this is what was went well this is what didn't work well this is how we're going to change it next year and all of a sudden I was like okay I have a partner in this this is awesome this is going to like really and and she's far more um you know she, she said you know fundraising is my thing and and she's really been pivotal in in almost really like a mentor this, role it, then in exactly a bit, in a way, yeah, yeah huge mentor cool. um and uh she's been with me ever since even though she's had she know you know she's had her own family um difficulties and she runs her own charity for her um own thing and yet she still prioritizes every august coming and helping me out at um, the coffee house so that has been instrumental um and then um another friend of mine elizabeth codville uh she now hosts the show with me she was another one of those people that came up to me she had come to the show she really liked it she donated a couple prizes and then the next year she said i want to help plan i want to help do and she really brought a lot of new ideas to the table that i had never really thought about before because you know i've been doing it for five years and what my what was working was working really well so why change it, it broke it? exactly don't fix it (laughs) um and she came with really like awesome new ideas and um and then I had said to her I the MC that usually helped me um couldn't help out that year and I said well do you want to help me 
emcee the show. And again, ever since then, she's been helping me emcee the show as well. And she, again, like takes on part of the organization for sound equipment and for um, collecting silent auction prizes, which is, again, huge. It takes a huge step off of my plate. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one being uh, Grandpa Jim, who continues to be the inspiration for the show, gets my button gear like January of, of the next year. He's like, so when's the next coffee house? I'm like... I'm still like eight months away. <laughs> it's so far away, but he gets my gets my gears going. He like in in June is like I want to start fundraising. He himself, I would love to know the total, but he's raised like on his own going around and just talking to his friends and family, raised like over I think over $2,000 every year just on his own for this wow. by asking people to donate to him and he's a very persuasive man. So <laughs> everyone loves him. It's hard to say no to him. So um, yeah, he kind of just is the motivator through this all as well. That's very cool. What you talked about a few of the challenges, but what's like a couple of the big hurdles that you've had to go through to make this a reality? Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, uh, obviously the biggest hurdle that ended up being probably the best thing in the Is end the was switching to the Hitchin Post. That was extremely stressful. Um, but uh, I would say one of the bigger challenges that I'm finding as I'm getting older is, you know, when I was in school, um, all of these musicians were at my fingertips. I could, you know, catch them up in the hallway and say, hey, I heard you're in a band. You want to be part of my show? Um, whereas now it's and it not it's a challenge, but it's not a bad challenge to have. I have to go out and find these new young artists because, I mean, I could keep asking my friends, but you're going to get bored of the same people all the time. Um, so, you know, it's going out and finding those new artists, up-and-coming artists, and forcing yourself to go out to little talent shows in Argyle and 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 Warren and and you know picking them out of the crowd and <laughs> one of my performers this year I saw her sing a solo in a choir and I came up to her after the show not realizing it was her last performance with this choir and she was crying because she was she was happy but sad that it was over and I walked up and I'm like hi my name's Paige Proctor oh my god you're crying are you okay um uh is this a bad time and she's like no no <laughs> it's okay I'm like okay please don't like this might sound out of the blue but like in 10 months from now do you want to come and like perform at a show with me like give me your number and it was the most like I think if I was her she was probably I think she just turned 17 at that time was probably like oh my god who is this woman um but 10 months later she showed up and she like knocked it out of the park at the show this year and was was a crowd favorite and it was I was so glad that I was able to come up to her and meet her otherwise I would have never really made, found somebody like that. that connection there's probably been dozens if not hundreds of little moments beautiful moments from shows what are what are some of your favorites from previous shows or from this year like that really stand out as oh like god I could probably list like 10 from each one yeah um but uh well, how many my... how many people perform each at each show like we have dozens? um we so it has it has usually always been 10 um but we've tried to shorten it in the last few years uh just because it does end up being quite a long show and uh grandpa jim has relayed to me every <clears throat> every uh year that you know the show runs a little bit long for the older folk in the crowd um but again they all still stay in and nobody else has ever <laughs> brought it up so but i do try and cater to it a little bit try and make it a little bit of a quicker process you know maybe not announcing every silent auction prize and and stuff like that to try and shorten the show but usually eight to ten performers and when we have a, a speaker i usually try and sh shorten it to eight to nine right mm -hmm. so what are some of your favorites mm -hmm. over the years yeah so um i think probably two of my biggest moments um in terms of uh 
Oh gosh, I feel so feel so rude not mentioning them all. Oh no, but, um, the uh, um, the first year I ever had a speaker was um, uh, a, a man that I went to high school or we went to opposite high schools. Um, but uh, he had been he was a couple of years older than me and he had been diagnosed with cancer um, in his grade twelve year of high school. And um, had since recovered, and had, I think he had been when he spoke at the show. He may have been two or three years um, in remission. Uh, anyways, and I don't know if I mentioned his name was uh, Troy Woods, and he came and spoke at the show for the first time. It was the first time we'd ever had a speaker, and he spoke at the show, and it was a beautiful speech. It was extremely well thought out. It was extremely emotional, um, and at the end of his speech everybody stood up and gave him a standing ovation, which was not nothing that had ever happened at the show before, and I wasn't expecting it. And I was walking up on stage, and I could feel the lump in my throat, but it was okay. I was getting through it, and then he gave me a hug on stage, and I was done. Um, but that was probably the most emotional moment that has ever happened in the show, was just looking out and seeing the support that he had from the art community, the support that I had, and really showed how important the event was um, in that moment. Probably to such everybody. a hu- like just such a human moment and such an important story, just mm-hmm. to be able to be vulnerable on stage like that and tell your story. You said there was two. What was the other? Yeah. One? So the other one again was a speaker. Um, I mean, the artists. I, I think I have like five favorites at every single one um but really I've been told that the speakers really add to the event and you know they always want to know who the speaker is going to be the next year and it's hard because you know it's hard to ask people and you don't want to put them on the spot because it is a very difficult subject to talk about um but um so it kind of worked out that every time I have had a speaker it's been very timely like for Troy it was his um three years in remission um another one of them she you know she had just finished her treatment so it was just very timely the way that all of it happened mm-hmm. so my second my my other favorite that um happened was again another speaker and it was a mother and father of a uh of uh kira from kira's crusade they uh li- they grew up in Gross Isle and their um mother the the grandma and grandpa still live in Gross Isle so even though she was she was a Winnipeg child. She really had a connection to Grass Isle. She spent a lot of her childhood in Grass Isle. And though I never actually got to meet Kira, her story really impacted me. Really, um, that year I was actually doing my practicum on CK5, which is the inpatient oncology unit at Children's Hospital. And, um, you know, her story just really connected with me. I um, had a special connection with the family. So I messaged the mom and dad and I had said, you know, would you be comfortable sharing Kira's story? Because she in herself was an inspiration. You know, even in her sickest days, she was asking the the therapists to tell her jokes and the MRI people to sing to her. Like she was always, she was really um, a caring and thoughtful and bright person that even though she had a tragic end, she really brought to light kind of what the coffee house was supposed to embody. Um, and her and her, her so, so Tony and Gary, her mom and dad spoke at the event and it was the first time that they had spoken publicly since the funeral about Kira. Mm-hmm. And again, like just the emotion, like there, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Um, everybody was so connected to their daughter in some way or another. And they, um, they showed her, I guess, at cancer care, whenever you complete a treatment or a test, you'll get a, a courage bead or a bravery bead. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and anyways, they pulled out her bravery bead string and it was like they both had to hold it out and it was incredible and like I just get goosebumps still thinking about it and just the crowd 
there. And again, it just reiterated like, this is why we do this event. It's huge. That's amazing. I mean, as you, just so you know, you're the youngest person to ever be on this podcast. Oh, so congratulations. <laughs> set, the, set the bar there. What do you think the role of youth should be when it comes to philanthropy like do you i mean not a lot of people have a lot of money but <laughs> yeah. you've proven that you can spend time and energy and organizing skills to really make a huge huge difference in a lot of people's mm -hmm. lives so like how can we inspire other youth to do the same i think that youths um have the advantage of um really not knowing i'm trying to feel how i can word this properly but um you know we're very innocent in that we don't really think about the money and the logistics of everything we just kind of have an idea and we go with it so I think having youths in philanthropy is extremely important because they are the ones that kind of drive that dream in the beginning and they aren't bogged down by you know university and money and bills like I don't think that at 25 I would have thought to start this but at 16 all I really had to worry about was who was going to drive me and um like you know I really didn't have like it was I could it was something that I could just focus on and you know as you get older I think it's harder for you to start something like that it's not impossible but I think as a as a youth as a young person you just have so much innocence that like anything is possible um and starting in that young age you all of a sudden just start blossoming and it just becomes part of your life and it's just something that you know you're always going to do. Yeah. So um, just do it, kid. Just, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> and adults too. Get out there and do it and support things, mm -hmm. right? That's what everyone should be focusing yeah. and on. And also kids are super, youths youth are way cuter and you're going to get a lot more support <laughs> if you look cute. <laughs> Great point. Absolutely. Are you doing anything special for the 10th anniversary in 2020? <sighs> There's lots of ideas. Um, and it's just like trying to figure out what is what is plausible and, and what's like, you don't want to do too much and have the show be a full day affair. How cool would that be? But it's not realistic. Yeah. Um, something I would really like um, that I've kind of been thinking about, but it would have to, I'd have to probably start planning it now is to get um, as many of the original performers from the first show to come back and kind of do a, um, like either do a couple of songs or, or if they can't all get together, kind of have a few of them, within the mix of the new ones just to kind of bring back you know the nostalgia um fortunately again my mother's a photographer she's got tons of pictures from over the years I would love to have those featured um throughout the event as well just to kind of show how far it's come um and uh yeah there's so many so many ideas floating in my head that I actually just have to sit down and be like, I guess okay, it was only what's... a couple months ago where yeah, you exactly. did it, right? So <laughs> I'm like, Jim saying like, well, you got to start working, even exactly. though it's <laughs> 10 months away. That's very funny. So you're being honored now by the Association of Fundraising Professionals for all your work. How does that feel to get an award for doing this thing that you were just, you know, it was just a dream 10 yeah, years ago? Yeah, um, I mean, it feels unreal it doesn't feel like it's uh like I think it took me it really took me until I think I was standing in front of Kristen doing the video yesterday or whatever day that was Saturday um that it really hit me what was actually going on and um it actually I did get quite emotional with it um it just doesn't seem like and you know people are saying like you're in the paper you're doing this and it just doesn't seem 
real like it's just like well this is what just what I what I do kind of thing and it feels weird like I said being honored solely for it because I feel like coffee house is you know a community event an interlake event and I guess it's just hard to I mean you can't have the whole community of Grasal <laughs> coming to accept an award um but uh yeah so I mean I'm incredibly honored and um uh, on Saturday, I was given the nomination letters that um, had been written in my on my behalf, and I did get quite emotional reading them because um, all of the letters that I received uh, were from people who I look up to and who I think are leaders in change, and it really like overwhelmed me in a good way that these people also saw me in the way that I grew up. Like I think one of them was like my middle school teacher. One of them was a uh, high school teacher that I had that had worked with special needs kids and like all of them I aspired to be one day and now they're saying oh yeah like she's a leader and that's so I think that was probably the most special part of this of accepting this award is like that the people that I look up to also feel the same way about me well it's well deserved congratulations <laughs> it's very cool um we'll be there to to <laughs> cheer you on definitely um but at the end of our time on the podcast mm -hmm. we do a segment called just because where i ask you seven questions don't think about it too much but just kind of say whatever pops into your mind you okay to do that yeah so yeah. first question is what is the first cause you remember caring about but was it cancer or was there another cause as a child that you uh, threw your weight behind so that was kind of a hard i, I um the video um interview they actually asked me that as well oh, and yeah. I, I, I had trouble answering it because um I again I went to a small school uh Rosser Elementary and we were super involved in fundraising in all aspects there um like our th we there was there was amazing staff there like I credit pretty much every all of my upbringing to um my parents and this school like this elementary school they were so thoughtful and so philanthropic <laughs> yeah. um even at a young age so even at a young age like in kindergarten I was already um you know really wanting to fundraise and do stuff because that's what we did at school it just was like kind of part it was like part of the curriculum like raising money for that's things so that smart. you care about were part of the curriculum mm -hmm. at that school um and so I think I think we focus specifically on like environmental um changes uh at the school so that's probably the first time that I remember fundraising but um, I also um, have a bit of a funny story in relation to this that um, I had my best friend growing up uh, was a girl named Erica Ulrich, and she would every Sunday go to the Prairie Dog Central and play her violin to raise money for Cancer Care Manitoba. And she ended up, I think when we were, she might have been 10 and I might have been 8, uh, she won the uh, um, Youngest Humanitarian Award. And... Um, Growing up, it was one of those things where, you know, like she would she would do something or she would get something. And two years later, I would be the same, the same. So like, you know, we we shared everything. We did everything together. We always had the same things like she'd get a Christmas present one year. I'd get the same one two years later because I always wanted to be just like her. So I remember her. I distinctly remember her winning the award and being like, well, I guess I'm going to win it next year because, you know, Erica won it this year um, and realized very quickly that it's not just about being nice that gets you an award like that. So I always kind of laugh with every step of the coffee house that gets bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, even in other areas that I fundraised in, I always kind of think back to that moment as a kid being like, is this all fueled from like my want to be wow. like Erica and, and get an award? And not that, not that it's about getting awards. It's about giving back to other people, but it's just kind of funny that it's come full circle well, now. And having that sort of sister, you know, 
whatever it would be called, not an actual sister, but a sister like force yeah. in your life that you're striving to, to towards is a yeah. beautiful thing. So I don't know if I've like cancer care has definitely been like the main one, mm-hmm. but I think I was always surrounded by people that were volunteering and fundraising. And I think it was just kind of ingrained in me to do it from a young age for all aspects. Of, so smart. Yeah. Yeah. Question two, if money, politics and logistics were no issue, what's the first thing you would do? Let's just say, what's the first thing you would do for coffee house? Well, how would you change it if you had a blank check and you could snap your fingers and anything would happen? Oh my goodness. Um, I would love, um, uh, I guess logistics wise, if, if, if we could stop the weather, <laughs> um, is it an outdoor concert? No, or? it's indoor, okay, but yeah, I but would love it to be like, and people have brought it up to me before. Like, why don't you make it like a weekend event, like a festival, a festival. or something like that? Um, That's again, huge, huge, yeah, yeah. lots of money, mm-hmm. lots of politics, very weather dependent. It would be an amazing thing that who knows, maybe one day would be possible. Um, but that would probably be the biggest thing. I think it would be really cool to have like, you know, an outdoor an outdoor venue um, where people could just kind of come spend the whole day. Like, you know, um, have like, like right now we just do dainties and coffee, but you know, like have lunches and it would all be like, all be from the interlake community. Like we'd be sp- like supporting local businesses, local people. Um, I think that would be really incredible. <laughs> no kidding. I agree. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause that you care about? Hmm. Well, Have people told you lots of stories about like their experiences sort of dealing with cancer instead and, and how people act towards them or anything or like how, how have people confided in you over the yeah, years? Yeah, I mean, most of it is as, um, very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they always, I, I've, I've heard very little, um, and maybe this is a good thing, very little, um, negative reviews about Cancer Care Manitoba and the treatments that they've received there. They've always, they've always said the nurses are amazing. The doctors are amazing. You know, the care that they received. Um, I love hearing the stories about the palliative care that they received. That's a huge, um, even as a, as a nurse, like that's a huge aspect of my job. And it's just so great to hear, even in their sadness that, that they had a, a nice end of life experience. For sure. Um, I think, yeah, I think what I tried initially with like my very first, um, year of coffee house I really wanted to drive the stigma that like cancer doesn't have to be sad and the journey doesn't have to be sad um that there's so many positives because that's really when people come and share their stories with me it's really shattered the stigma that all cancer is bad and all experiences with cancer are sad and negative because you see so many brave people that have you know, cancer's changed their life for the better and, you know, they've become stronger. Like you look at the bonds, they lost their beautiful daughter and the amount of money that they've raised in her legacy, um, has helped so many kids with brain tumors. Um, they've come so far in research and it's, you know, good things happen from bad situations. And I think when we, one stigma that needs to be shattered is that cancer is all bad (laughs) for sure just the indomitable human spirit Mm -hmm. very cool question four what's a time in your life where you had to pivot well we talked about (laughs) the fifth year going to a different uh, venue but what's another time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan wasn't working out necessarily Hmm. i would probably say that was the biggest one um the other um interesting um planning situation was i actually after grade 12 moved to switzerland for a year oh, good for you um, <laughs> thank you cool. it's a great experience yeah. highly recommend it um, um so i did a lot of the planning while i was traveling in europe oh. um so that was definitely again showed a huge showed just how much support i had gained and how much 
how awesome my community is because I was an ocean away being like, hey, um, so you need to contact this person and uh, do this and, you know, pick up this from this place and do this and do that. And people were game for it. And it wasn't like, like they didn't even bat an eye that I was like, thank goodness for technology because they didn't even bat an eye that I was an ocean away ask, demanding them to do things for me um, in order to make sure that by the time I got home in August that the event would be ready and would be successful. That would be challenging for sure. But it also speaks to, you've almost created this, snowball that's rolled downhill and now has momentum right like mm -hmm. you, you're a part of it obviously but there's it's probably just a thing that happens now and you're just kind of guiding it through existence it's, it's so cool. nice it's so much nicer to have everything like <laughs> i'm just like okay little minor changes here yeah. and there but like the formats there the structures there which is so much less work for me <laughs> huge question five what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given oh i i have a i have an answer for this one okay. <laughs> it's nice. that's good um uh, so um, it's not related to fundraising or anything like that. But when I was in nursing school, um, one of my instructors, uh, Carlene Sifuentes, said, um, learning is uncomfortable. And if you don't feel that pit of like, ugh, in your stomach, that's not good. You need to always feel that, ugh. <laughs> always so, feel the, ugh. That's good advice. So, yeah. So, like, anytime, anytime I'm feeling uncomfortable in a situation, I just always think of that moment. It was like, and I'm sure... Um, she said it and like wasn't even thinking of it but it's probably the quote that has changed my whole life is like whenever you're feeling uncomfortable it's okay it's because you're learning <laughs> that's huge yeah that's a really great point thinking about if you're ever learning a new skill or a, a class or whatever it is if you're not comfortable if you're comfortable you you already know it so what's yeah, the and point? why are you doing it yeah, like, why are you doing that that's very cool question six what advice would you give your 10 year old self let's or even oh. 16 year, <laughs> 16 year old self could you if you could go back in time and say like okay you're gonna do this thing for 10 years but here's what you should maybe do differently what would you tell your tell your childhood uh, self um hmm. i think definitely um ask for help. <laughs> um, uh, I've been, I've been very lucky that people have always come up to me and said, I will help you. Um, but I think, you know, learning, even with the, um, the, the donation tiers that I've done this year, um, you know, it was really hard for me to go out and ask people for money. I thought that that was, you know, I've always been raised to, you know, not ask for things. Um, and really like, I think I would want to tell my 10 year old self, like, it's okay to ask for things that you want if it's for a greater cause and something bigger than just yourself. Like it's not a selfish reason that you're asking for this money. And, um, yeah. And just like, you know, being open to having people help you and having people support you and, and realizing that your ideas are not crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're, I don't know if we're conditioned to believe that asking for help shows, you know, that you're, maybe people think you're not capable of doing it yourself or mm -hmm. whatever the, like the self-conscious things that are swirling around in our heads. But yeah, ask for help. Some people never learn to ask for help and it's, yeah. it's such an important life skill. Uh, last question. Thank you for doing this. No, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, so uh, that is a great question as well. Um, I do have a, a it's, it sounds a little bit morbid, but I always like to think of like people's funerals and, you know, what people say at their funerals. And even if I don't know them, it's a, I think, again, it's a small town thing, but and a rural thing, but like we go to a lot of funerals, even if you don't know the person, you know, their, 
they're it's their grandma but you know the person their granddaughter you know their mother or their son and you just go even though you don't actually know the person and so I always think like what are people gonna say at my funeral um so actually I do think about this quite often (laughs) and um I think the biggest thing and this kind of applies to uh, my nursing career as well as like how I made people feel and I hope that I made them feel good like they there's a great quote that says um you know your patients won't remember what you did but they'll remember how you made them feel and I just try to go into every um interaction hoping that you know I treated people with respect that I treated them with kindness maybe I made them laugh I think I'm funny not everybody does (laughs) um you know and um yeah I just hope that people remember that you know that I treated them with kindness well I've been smiling nonstop (laughs) during our conversation Thank you for being here, Paige. Um, good luck. Well, I just, no, no luck needs to be <laughs> sent to you. You've already won the award. <laughs> but have fun at the uh, at the awards dinner and enjoy yourself and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And good luck with next year's uh, Coffee House. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Paige Proctor for talking to us on the Big Cause and Effect podcast today. Uh, The upcoming AFP Awards, as we mentioned earlier, are going to be taking place November 15th, and tickets are still available. If you're in and around the Winnipeg or Manitoba area, you can check, uh, search for AFP Manitoba, and you can find the event tickets for November 15th. All music on the Because and Effect podcast is composed and produced by Trenton Burton. Thank you to Trenton for your contribution to the show. And to hear more of his music, you can go to trentonburton.com. Thank you again to Robert Zirk, Sonny Promolo, and Jeremy Morantz for production assistance on the podcast today. And if you want to hear uh, a different show that they all work on called Because Radio, you can visit becauseradio.org. It's all about good people here in Winnipeg helping to make our city a better place. The Cause and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To follow the Foundation on social media, please search at WPGFDN on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nolan Bicknell as well. Thank you so much again for listening today, and have a great week. Bye-bye.